So the last couple weeks, we've had messages related to what? I heard it. Who said it? What? Yeah, to Christmas, right? To the birth of Jesus. And today we are going to have one more related to the birth of Jesus. Um, we started out with what that says is before Christmas or, or preparing for Christmas. And we looked at a couple passages in Isaiah uh, and Micah that were related to prophecies about the birth of Jesus. And that they were so slowly being fulfilled at the moment of Mary becoming pregnant by the Holy Spirit. One prophecy was fulfilled and it set in motion uh, the birth that was going to take place. And we looked at the, the destination was going to be Bethlehem. And we looked at what this child was going to do. All planned before Christmas, right? Last week, we looked at Christmas Day. We looked at enjoying Christmas. We looked at the Christmas story itself. We looked at um, what it meant. Uh, we looked at the moment of Jesus' birth. We looked at the meaning of Jesus' birth, that it was good news for everybody, and that it was glory to God. And we looked at the sharing of Jesus' birth, that the shepherds did extremely well. And we were challenged to do the same thing. Today, we get an opportunity to look at what is following Christmas story, but it's all related to the Christmas story. Because, you know, everything in history that happened after the birth of Jesus is following the Christmas story. Story, right? And that would take too long to say. So we're just going to focus on what is related to Christmas uh, that is following those events. Uh, I'm kind of happy to, for this because it allows me to get into a passage I didn't know how to ever get into. And I'll explain that when we get there. Uh, but before we do, I want to read for you uh, a part of our passage, Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray and ask God's blessing, please. Father God, we are all coming to you right now to say, please bless this message. I just, we just want God to hear from you. We want your words to be spoken loud and clear. Uh, all the distractions in our minds and all the distractions from things that I say that might be goofy. I just pray that uh, those things would be set aside and we really focus on the message that you want to give us today. I just pray that it would come through and it would stick with us through our week and throughout our life, God, to remember the true meaning of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to go back in time just a little bit, just about three days, whatever you count Wednesday as. Um, we, we were talking about the Christmas story, and I asked the kids, who are the characters of Christmas? And these are some of the answers that I got. This list with, with Charlie Brown and Santa, right? Those are characters of Christmas, right? When you, people talk about the Christmas story, those are some of the answers that we came up with. Rudolph, and I didn't, I didn't think about Charlie Brown. I was actually shocked by that one. The Grinch and Max, I didn't think about that. Uh, ugly sweaters, I, I did think about that because somebody was wearing one. Um, <laughs> but then you also had this other list, the, the list of Jesus and the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph, the shepherd, and the wise men. 
And of these two lists, one of these lists make most people happy, or most people are willing to accept one of these lists as a Christmas, uh, the characters of Christmas, and it really doesn't bother them. Yes, they say this is a kid thing, but it really doesn't make anybody upset. The other list does make people upset. Now, which one do you think we're going to talk about today? We're in church. We've got to talk about the one that makes people upset, right? We're going to be talking about the list about Mary and Joseph and Jesus uh, as part of the Christmas story. We're going to be looking at a positive response to the Christmas story. And we're going to be looking at a negative response to the Christmas story. And then kind of ask you the question, what side of the spectrum do you fall into? Are you on the excited side or are you on the side that really gets grumpy this time of year and just would rather have it all passed because you don't like the message of Christmas? So first of all, we're going to look at the positive response to Christmas as it relates to the the biblical Christmas story. It says up here, this is what the shepherds did when they finally met Jesus. I mean, the wise men, it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and they bowed down to him and they worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Obviously a positive response, right? They're worshiping Jesus and they're giving him gifts. They're happy to do this. And we're going to find out that they traveled a long way in order to get there. So that's what ultimately their response is going to be. Now let's, let's go backwards a little bit and see the beginning of this passage. The wise men, they followed a star. Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I don't know how many people, how many of you know the story of the star and uh, and what history tells us about that and, and how they how the wise men knew about what the star meant. Because there's some different theories out there that uh, sound logical, but there's nothing in stone. So these two suggestions I'm going to give you are not gospel truth. They're possible, and they both can work together possibly, but I don't know. But I'd like to share a little bit of what I discovered. So first of all, the Magi are known as the wise men. They're the same. They were known for their study of the stars, for medicine, and for interpreting dreams. Now, astrology, to me, is kind of a foreign thing. I think I took a a science class back in college, and we had these... I remember looking at the sky and all the stars and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't really get into all that. I moved to Montana, and what's the, the best thing about Montana? You go out there at night and you just see stars. I hear about in California, all you see is smog. You go to Davenport, and it should be this wide open, but it's not. Montana has the best stars in the sky that I've ever seen. And to us, we I don't know anybody who studies the stars. I don't. Even when people say there's there's a planet out there. Anybody see a planet out there like 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 the last couple nights? Me, I go, oh. It looks like a star. It, it, to me, it doesn't. It's just a little brighter. You give me a ball with some aliens on it, I'll get excited. But if you just have what looks like to another be another star, I, it doesn't matter to me. But some people get excited about that. These wise men apparently got excited about it because they believed that their life was impacted or influenced by the stars in the sky. And I guess if I believed that too, I would find the connection of the stars and say, it really matters. Now, according to uh, 
secular history, uh, this star appeared on an important day. It was the Egyptian month called Missouri, which means the birth of a king. And it showed up on the first day of that month. And so if it's true that the wise men are following the star, they're following the months, and they see this new star on that day, they're going to say, wow, this was connected to the birth of the king. We better follow it to see where it goes. That's possible. I don't know. Uh, another option is in Numbers 24, 17a, it says, I see him, but not now. It's a prophecy. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will arise out of Israel. That's, that's a biblical reason why people say the wise men knew that there was a star, that they was going to lead to Jesus. It's because of that verse. It's possible. I don't really know. Either way, the point is that they followed the star. They had no idea where it was going to lead. They didn't get a, a little GPS that says, you know, five more miles and you're there. They just kept following the star until they got to Jerusalem because that's where they're going to ask where this child was who was to be born. So the wise men, they followed the star. And when they got there, when they got to baby Jesus, they freely gave Verse 9, it says, after they heard the king. So what happens? Let me back up here a little bit. They get to the, the to Jerusalem. They talk to King Herod. And they say, where is this child who's been born of the king of the Jews? Herod has no idea. He does, He's not happy about this. So he calls all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and says, look, guys, answer this for me. And they said, well, according to history, it's a, according to prophecy, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. And so the wise men get sent to Bethlehem. And they are told, after you get there, let me know where he's at so that I too can go and worship this baby. So the wise men are excited. They want to go meet baby Jesus. They're, they're probably keeping track of the, everything, all the directions to get there so they can tell King Herod where this baby's at. And it says, after verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. So they freely gave. They didn't give under compulsion. They, they weren't, you know, mom wasn't twisting the ears saying, hey, give somebody a present. It was just something on their own they chose to do. They wanted to go find out about this little king and give him gifts. The first thing that they gave him was worship. Right, to worship is to prostrate oneself in worship as bowing down to a deity. This is a little baby here, or this little kid, and this is what they're doing to worship. And that's what they want to do. They're probably looking at baby Jesus as just another earthly king. And so they're still treating him with special honor. Little do they know that they are worshiping the king of the whole universe. Not just a king for a few earthly years, a king for all eternity. So they freely gave worship. Then it says they freely gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now everybody knows what gold is, right? Whether you have a block of it or whether you have coins, you know what gold is. It's a precious metal. And they gave that to Mary and Joseph. They gave something called frankincense, which was an aromatic gum. It was something that when you, you cut into the bark of a tree and what kind of came out of that, you let it uh, harden and then you, you burn that and it gave off a, a incense smell. And then they, they gave them myrrh, which is a fragrant spice, which is also derived from the sap of a tree. 
Uh, none of these things have I ever held in my hand. No, I wish the gold, but I've never held these things in my hand. Uh, and according, there's, the, each gift has a meaning. Now, it doesn't say these meanings are in the Bible. It doesn't say they gave gold because it was a sign of royalty. They gave um, frankincense as a worship to a deity. It doesn't say that they gave myrrh because it was a gift connection to, connected to the death of Jesus. Possibly that's what it was given for. Um, but also, these were the kind of expensive gifts that you just gave a king. And so that was kind of a normal thing that you would give a king. And so it was, pro it was possibly that's what all they were doing. Say, so we're going to take these expensive gifts. Here's a king. Here's what you give a king. Right? A king you think has everything. You still give them these things. But these wise men, that's what they did. They followed the star. They found baby Jesus. They gave Jesus worship. And they gave Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They followed the star and they did that. Well, they are not the only wise men that have ever been around. I would say today we could have wise men today. Obviously not the kind that are chasing around a star in order to find baby Jesus in a manger. Been there, done that, that's all done. Because Jesus is up in heaven right now. He's at the right hand of God. He's already been to earth, died on a cross, rose again, and now he's up in heaven. So there's no chasing around a star, but we sitting here in this, these pews on a December 19th morning, hearing about the Christmas story yet one more time, can be just like these wise men chasing Jesus or following a star in order to find Jesus. And how do we do that? Right? Well, obviously, we have the whole of Scripture that was given to us that we can learn about Jesus. We can say, this is how Jesus wants us to live. And a one verse that we've, we've had, it's the Awana theme verse. We've talked about it on Awana Sunday. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as, as one approved, a workman who does not need to be shamed, who rightly handles the word of truth. Right? We all have scripture. If you don't have a Bible, take one out of the pew. If you have 14 at home, read one, open it up, and see how can I seek Jesus through what the scripture says. I'm already saved. I got my salvation. Now what? Get into your Bible and read it and see how can I become more like Jesus? How can I be, do what Jesus is asking me? Wise men still seek Jesus. You don't stop at salvation. You keep going to, to know more about Jesus and to become more like Jesus. But wise men also freely give to Jesus. We freely give him worship. Now, these wise men, they, they chased around the country. They found this star. They, they found baby Jesus. And they worshiped this little baby having no real idea what Jesus really meant or what this baby was really going to do. We don't have to look at it from that vantage point. We can look back and say, look what Jesus did, right? Jesus was God in the flesh, came down to this earth, born on a cold morning in order to become the savior of the world. We don't have to look and say, I wonder. We can look and say, I know. And so I'm going to worship Jesus based off of what I know that he did. We have something that they didn't have, and we should be the ones that are worshiping him. With all the everything that we say and everything that we do. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how we can give God glory by the words that we say, right? By our, by our praises, by our worship, uh, by our conversation, by our song, we can give God glory. But also by the actions we display. 
Uh, it says, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. When I'm out shoveling the sidewalk, when I'm driving the bus in the morning, right? I had to make a confession. I had to get rid of my bad attitude because that was a bad example. That wasn't giving God glory. And everything that I do, I can be giving God glory. So we can give God worship. He deserves it. Uh, we should give it to him. But we also can give God gifts. I'm not going to go real deep into this because this is part of the Christmas Eve message about what do you give God for Christmas? But I will say, you know what? If you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the best thing that you can give God for Christmas is yourself. Right? It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, but he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. If you're sitting there and you don't know Jesus, you know, you're trying to be good enough or you're sitting here in church hoping that's going to make God happy. It's not going to happen. You are a sinner in need of a savior and you need to admit that to him and ask him to save you and he'll give you eternal life. He knows what's going on here. You don't have to say it perfectly here. If you want Jesus as your savior, you ask him. And he will, he will give you salvation. But also you're sitting there and say, yes, Josh, I've been saved for my whole life. You know, uh, Matthew 22 verses 37 to 39 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we can do in order as a way of giving gifts to God is we can be loving him with everything that we are. And we can be loving each other with all that we have. And so we, as, we can be the wise men who are following Jesus, and uh, seeking Jesus, and we can be the ones who are giving gifts to Jesus by the things that we do and by the things that we say. So I'm one of those people who's very happy when Christmas comes. Not because of presents, because, you know, I, I discovered once I got old enough and I had a job, I could buy myself anything I wanted for Christmas. Anybody here? Two, you can do that, right? All year long, you say, I want a new watch, I'm going to buy a watch. I want a new pair of shoes, I'm going to buy shoes. If I want a movie, I'm going to buy a movie. So when it comes to Christmas, I don't get excited about what gifts I'm going to get because I can buy it for myself. But I still get excited about Christmas because it's a reminder of the birth of Jesus. But you know what? Not everybody gets excited about Christmas. I mean, it's fun. They, they look at the presents and look at the food and they look at family get-togethers, but about the true meaning of Christmas, not everybody gets excited. Some people get downright mean and frustrated because they don't like the Christmas story. Herod was one of those people. Herod was a guy who had a negative response to Christmas. His response, and we'll go back and look at how that developed, is Matthew 2.16. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from Magi. Now, this is the passage of the Christmas story that I thought I'm never preaching. How do you preach something like this at Christmas time? I know it's part of it, uh, but with this negative and this positive response, it fit perfectly. So that's why I was, I was glad to be able to finally get to this. So starting out, Herod hears about baby Jesus. You know, the wise men show up to, to Jerusalem. They say, where is this baby who's born king of the Jews? And that makes Herod disturbed. He's upset. He's mad. He's paranoid because Herod's the king right now. And Herod would like to stay the king. He doesn't want any threat to his throne. You know, in fact, when, whenever a threat arose to, to Herod's throne, he killed him. It didn't matter who it was. If it was a wife, if it was a son, he got rid of them. He, he killed them off. 
A guy by the name of Augustus, who was the Roman emperor, said it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Because he was just that eager to get rid of any competition. A pig and a king you know, don't really have much competition with each other. You know, when it came time to eat and you're hungry, you had to worry about being the pig. But if you were, it felt like a threat, even if you were no threat at all, your life was in danger. And it says that all Jerusalem was disturbed with him because they knew what Herod was like. They knew that Herod was willing to eliminate any threat, even his own family. And if he was willing to do that, he was willing to eliminate that threat anywhere. And they were disturbed and they were concerned themselves because they didn't know what kind of impact it was going to have on them as well. And that is going to be realized in verse 16 when Herod does go out there and try to destroy Jesus. So Herod, first of all, was disturbed. He was bothered. He was upset. Herod, because he felt that way, he tried to deceive. He tried to deceive the wise men. Herod, after he found out exactly where Jesus was supposed to be, didn't he, he said he's going to send the wise men. He called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Pretty sneaky, right? If Herod sends a bunch of soldiers with these wise men to go find baby Jesus, and they, it's going to make them feel kind of nervous about why are you sending soldiers with us? We just came all this distance without soldiers. We're fine. So Herod just lets them go. That's kind of what I picture. He just lets them go. But he says, you find him. You do all the work for me. You let me know. And then... I'll go worship him too, knowing full well that he was planning on killing baby Jesus. He looks good. He's playing the part really well. I think the wise men are going fully convinced that King Herod wants to worship baby Jesus too. They have no idea that ultimately what's going to happen is that King Herod is going to try to do what we look next. And that is to destroy baby Jesus. That's his goal. You know, after the wise men, they presented their gifts. They visited with Mary and Joseph. They worshiped baby Jesus. They, had a, they went to sleep, apparently, because it says in a dream, they were warned by, by an angel not to go back to Herod, and they returned to the country by another route. Herod, this whole time, is starting like, ha, 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 I'm excited, and then he's probably like, are these guys coming back yet? I mean, Jerusalem or Bethlehem's only like five or six miles away. You don't wait that long. I mean, maybe a couple of days, but then you start to get nervous because these wise men are coming back. And finally it gets to the point where Herod's like, I've had enough of waiting. And he becomes very furious because he knows they're not going to come and tell him where baby Jesus is. But Herod is not going to be deterred. He's not going to be stopped. He's going to take matters into his own hands like he typically does. And he's going to try to destroy Jesus. And based off the timing of the Magi who said that when the star had appeared, it was about two years prior to this. And so Herod uses that as a guideline to say anybody, any baby boy that was born that's in Bethlehem um, within the last two years, I'm just going to put to death. And that was his best course of action, is to just eliminate them all. You know, a commentary said that by this time, Jesus is about 6 to 20 months old. I have no idea. But he, obviously, Jesus is going to fit into that 24-month and under time frame. And Herod's just better safe than sorry. He's going to eliminate Jesus, at, or try to eliminate Jesus by eliminating every other little boy at that time. It says in verse 17, Matthew 2, verse 17, it says, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Now, 
obvious, and okay, let me read it for you. It says, a voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, if you took that prophecy and you found that back in Jeremiah 31, about verse 15, you're looking for that exact prophecy to be fulfilled as it relates to this time period. It's not there because this is not a literal fulfillment. That already took place. Uh, it was uh, was based off of um, let me see if I, it was, nope, it was based off of what was supposed to happen to uh, the 10 tribes of Israel. They were going to be taken captive by Assyria and all the people who were left were seeing, would see Assyria come and destroy and take a off those 10 tribes of Israel. And who, those who are left are weeping and they are crying. That happened hundreds of years before this took place. So this is not a literal fulfillment that this is going to be happening. But it's the same kind of thing taking place. As people were weeping um, back when the ten tribes of Israel were being hauled off, people are weeping today in this passage because in Bethlehem, all these little boys, two years and under, are dying. It's the same heartbreak, the same pain. It's It's the same thing that history gets passed down. They're going to connect it to and say, ouch, that hurts. I I understand the feeling. I did learn something that I've never heard before from a commentary. It says that Bethlehem may have been known as Rachel. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but it says that um, in the commentary, it may have been known as Rachel because that was the place back in the Old Testament where Rachel died giving birth to her son, Benjamin. And if, if, if they're looking at this passage as that Bethlehem is known as Rachel, this fits perfectly. It says Rachel weeping for her children as if Bethlehem weeping for her children, all these baby boys that died and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So that could possibly be the case. But whatever the case is, Bethlehem, a very sad place to be. Mothers crying, little kids, brothers and sisters not understanding what's going on. Dads who are having to be held back because their son's being put to death and they can't stop it. Grandparents who are heartbroken over this. All because of Herod, who is has a negative response to the Christmas story. It's about as bad as it can possibly get. But Herod's not the only person who gets upset at the Christmas story, right? There are people today, hopefully not sitting in this room today, but there are people around America who are Herod's and who are upset at the Christmas story. And they are disturbed. If you don't know, this is supposed to be Scrooge, okay? They're they're like Scrooge. They get upset at the Christmas story. Some are disturbed when they hear anything other than this list of the Christmas characters. You know, you got Charlie Brown, you got all these things, and kids get excited, and, and parents are okay with this, they're okay with Santa, and they're okay with the ugly sweater contest and family get togethers. But some people get disturbed, they get bothered, they get annoyed every time this other list gets brought up. They don't do anything about it, but it just it just a wave of frustration comes over them. They get disturbed. They, you bring up Jesus, and all of a sudden. They get uncomfortable. Jesus in the Christmas story is not something that I want to hear about today. And so there are people who act like Herod, they get disturbed. There are people who act like Herod and they, they deceive people, right? They, they, uh, they try to pull the wool over people's eyes. They show up to the Christmas Eve service. You know, they endure the kids singing and the Christmas 
message and the guy up there talking and, and all this sort of stuff. And they, they just endure it. They get through it. Uh, they mumble through the Christmas songs. They, but they, all they just really wanted to do is pass. You know what? I'm glad it's only once a year. Get rid of Christmas Eve services, all those kinds of things, because it just bothers them. Right? They're deceiving people because they go. And I know people who, uh, I, I'm not thinking about here, so, but I think of people back home who, they show up at the Christmas service, you know, and they, they make that appearance and trying to deceive their family that, yep, I believe this because I'm here, but you know very clearly that they hate this and it bothers them, but they're just trying to pacify their family members. But then there's those who take it a step farther. They go the full extent of Herod that they can go. They try to destroy Christmas. They try to destroy anything that has to do with related to Jesus in the Christmas story. You know, instead of saying Merry Christmas, they say Merry Xmas, which I realize that's a, a shorter way to say it. So if you write Merry Xmas, I'm not thinking that you are Herod, but people will replace Christ in Christmas because they don't like that. They're trying to get rid of it. Yes, it's a holiday, but I'm going to put Merry Xmas. They say Happy Holidays. Um, I was very proud of our school. I have to tell Jill, she sent out a, a weekly email of what the week looks like, and it said, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, stuff like that. Well, back home where we came from, guess what it says? Happy Holidays, Winter Break. You know, all these not Christmassy words because it offends people, because there are Herods out there. But she wrote Merry Christmas. And I applaud that and I appreciate that. But there are people who try to do whatever they can to try to keep the Christ out of Christmas. People go further than that. Uh, anybody ever hear about churches getting burned down? Right? Uh, there's like Christmas morning massacre and things like that that take place. Or, or something that's a little more juvenile is you, you set up your nativity, you put Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and then what disappears? Baby Jesus, right? Not because somebody wants to go home and, hey, I got baby Jesus. They're like, I don't want that part of the Christmas story. And so that happens. Um, there's people who are shut down when they start talking about Jesus. And they start talking about Jesus as part of the Christmas story. All of a sudden, that's taboo. That's not okay. And they try to suppress that. Why? Because they are like Herod. It puts them in a bad mood. They have a negative response to the Christmas story. Now, how come they get upset about that? They don't get upset about this list, but they get upset about this list. Because they know that only one list is the true Christmas story, right? And if this list is, is not convicting, there's, no, there's nothing else tied to it except for Frosty the Snowman and the fun songs, then they're okay with it. I'll, get my, I'll, I'll dress up like Santa, I'll give my kids the presents, we'll build the snowman, we'll do everything to say, yay, this is Christmas. But you bring up this list and they start to get upset, and they're upset because they know it's really true, right? If it's really true, then they all of a sudden, my, my world changes, right? Because if Jesus really was born in a manger and his mother was Mary, who was uh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, if he was really born, uh, born in Bethlehem and the prophecies are all fulfilled, then you got to wonder, you got to wonder, say, if that's true, all of a sudden, Everything else I hear about Jesus has to be true. He really did, must have died on a cross for my sins, which makes me a sinner. And if he really did die on a cross and rise again, then all of a sudden I have a decision to make. Right? I can't just be like, yay, fluffy. 
All of a sudden I have to say, wait a second, connect these pieces and I got a real big decision to make. I got to accept this Jesus as my Savior or I got to reject this Jesus as my Savior. There's a, a eternity and a balance now all of a sudden if this Jesus part of Christmas is really true. There's, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be the wise men who are excited about Christmas. There's going to be people who are the Herods who are going to be annoyed at the Christmas story. But I'm not, we need to keep the Christmas story alive. We need to keep preaching the Jesus that this, these people need to hear. Be the, be, the, be the one who worships Jesus, not the one who gets mad at Jesus. And if you find yourself in that category right now, or whoever could possibly be looking online, if you find yourself in that category of mad about Jesus, I want to challenge you to rethink your, your Christmas message, to rethink of your eternity, because Santa and Snowman and Rudolph are all fun, but they don't mean anything. Jesus means everything. He did come to this earth as a baby. He lived a perfect life so he could ultimately be the perfect sacrifice so that we could have salvation. The Christmas story matters. Be one of those wise men who worships Jesus and not the Herod who rejects and tries to eliminate Jesus because your eternity depends on it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the Christmas story. I thank you that it never gets old. I mean, I know we can, we can know every detail about the Christmas story, God, but it's, it is such a special story because it's the birth of our Savior who came to this earth. He didn't have to. He just willingly chose because he loved us to come to this earth, to live as a poor boy, to grow up, to be placed on a cross for sins that he did not commit. I just thank you, God, that he, you chose to do that for us so that we could have salvation and give us the best gift of all. I just pray, God, if anybody in here is that Herod, that you would just convict them that they don't want to do that. Give them a dream. Give them thoughts in their mind that this is not the thing they want for Christmas. And God, for each of us who are excited to worship you, may we be spurred on to continue uh, to, to worship and praise you throughout this Christmas season. And may we be blessed by the songs we say and the words that we share. In Jesus' name, amen.